verse 5 in Acts chapter number 8, and then we'll move down to verse 6, and then we'll follow through these verses throughout the sermon. Look at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Look at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge over all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, and the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which is read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a, like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him. What's that word? Jesus. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you, Father, this morning, and we thank you. We thank you, dear God, that we can be under your word this morning. Not only that, but praise you. It is a privilege to praise you in song and sing. And surely, Father, the, the songs prepare our hearts for your word, and we're so thankful it does. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to work in every single heart here today. And that you would help me, Father, please convey your word to the hearts of your people, that they may understand. I pray, Father, that you'd help me, uh, Lord. Give me, Lord, wisdom to know how to convey these truths that are put in this passage. Father, And I pray that your uh, spirit will continue to work in the hearts of those that know you. And Father, for those that don't, I pray that there'll be a conviction of sin and that you'll show them their need of a saviour and how they need Christ. We love you. We thank you that we can come together today. We pray for those that couldn't be with us, Father. We pray for those that are sick, those that are unwell. We pray that you'd have your hand of mercy upon them and keep them. And Father, be with their infirmity. And I pray that you would, uh, by your grace, give them a quick recovery. Father, we ask and pray that you would have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we see the church scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria because of a great persecution that came upon the early church. At that time, there was a great distress. The believers witnessed the first martyr, which was Stephen, who was stoned to death for preaching Christ. All this was done because of the preaching of the gospel. And you can mark it down. Let me just say this to you, that when the gospel's preached, there's always going to be a pushback and persecution taking place. However, the persecution that came upon the early church didn't hinder the church from fulfilling the Great Commission, actually helped the church from filling, fulfilling the Great Commission. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says that they were scattered abroad. Look at this. And went everywhere, what? 
preaching the word. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible gives the Great Commission that God wanted the church to go forth to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. And over here we see Christians, believers, not the apostles, go forward and preaching the gospel, and it was persecution that brought them out. I like what Adam Clark said, thus the very means devised by Satan to destroy the church became the instrument of its diffusion and establishment. And God can use anything, even persecution, to advance his glory and kingdom. Now, persecution upon the early church was used, no doubt, to help the Christians go to the uh, you know, regions beyond, Judea and Samaria, where God wanted them to be. Some of them stayed back, and the apostles also stayed back. It says that very clear. But this is a good indication that the early church were faithful to the Lord, listen, despite their circumstances. Today, I believe Christendom doesn't know what to do in the face of persecution when it comes. And uh, in our country, we hardly get any persecution. And uh, I believe persecution for the church is, is, is something that comes about when the church is actually proclaiming the gospel, uh, you know, proclaiming the truth of God's word. In Acts chapter 8, we also see uh, Philip, which we're going to talk about today, go down to Samaria and preach the gospel. Uh, he was no doubt a faithful man, had a heart for the things of God. I'd like to take the time to learn from the life of Philip some key points uh, that simply we see in his life to encourage us within our calling and ministry. Uh, there are certain things that you and I can learn from a spirit-filled man. Do you agree with that? For we see in the scriptures certain things that we can learn, characteristics that we can learn, we can emulate in our life and ministry, of course with reason, within our calling, faith and ability that God has given us. Philip no doubt had a passion for the things of God and it's clearly seen within this passage. I want to talk about three things in the life of Philip. His ministry or his mission. I want to talk about his message that he preached and I want to talk about his maturity. Okay, let's look at the first, his ministry or mission. Philip was the first, no doubt, missionary, so to speak, it would call, but also very specifically noted in later in the book of Acts, he was called an evangelist, he had four daughters that also prophesied within reason and uh, within the proper qualifications of the scripture, but they were uh, a family that served the Lord together. And Philip was an evangelist, he was an apostle, I was an apostle, however, he worked with the apostles. And the apostles laid hands on Philip when he was chosen to be part of the seven that served the early church in Jerusalem. We see in Acts chapter 6, back it up a bit in verse 3, we see Philip meet the specific characteristics and qualifications that the apostles requested to be a servant within the church. We're not even talking about being preachers, we're talking about being servants here. And uh, verse 3 says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, the apostles were far more concerned with the inequality and characteristic than, you know, the ability of a person. Char character or godly spiritual character is so important. And the first that we see here is Philip had an honest report, and this involves his person. He was a man of integrity. He had a good, authentic testimony. He was a faithful and trusted man. Second of all, he was full of the Holy Ghost. This involves his power or his strength. 
uh, spirit-filled men simply demonstrate, no doubt, the fruit of the Spirit, and not only this, but the fruit of righteousness, which we see also in Ephesians 5. A man who did not simply make it a habit to walk in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. He was a Spirit-filled man, meaning that he was spiritual and not carnal. He wasn't a carnal man. He wasn't walking in the flesh, fulfilling the lust thereof. Number three, Philip was full of wisdom. This involves his possession and what he had, not only his person, not only his power, but his possession, what he had. He was filled with the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of the world. Remember what David said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the who? Ungodly. He was a man that was no doubt meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. That was uh, Philip. He was filled with the world's wisdom. No, with God's wisdom. With God's wisdom. He sought heavenly wisdom. In other words, he had discretion. He couldn't be a man of partiality. He was dealing with God's business and God's people. They didn't want a man that was partial. He wanted an honest man, a man that was spiritual, a man that had wisdom to know how to deal with the affairs of God, which is a great responsibility. They chose Philip, a godly man, a spiritual man, and although Philip was not part of the 12 apostles, we see Philip work miracles along with his preaching ministry. Now, the sign gifts were active at the time for a particular reason, I believe, was to authenticate the word of God, as the Bible does tell us, to confirm the word that they were preaching. They didn't have the New Testament. They were the New Testament. They were preaching, preaching the New Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so God gave him, you know, uh, sign gifts or, or, or working of miracles to authenticate their message. But the focus wasn't on the signs and wonders. The focus was on the message. You know, even in Jesus' ministry, when he preached, he'd done miracles, but the people still did not believe. The reason why God would do certain miracles in certain times was to authenticate the message. But we have a more sure word of prophecy this is God's word, and I believe as God speaks to us from his word, the greatest miracle that can take place is in the heart of man, Holy Spirit conviction. And God can still do that, but God demonstrated power for certain reasons given to certain men. And so Philip was identified with the apostles' ministry. But his main ministry, as we see and we're going to see, was preaching the gospel. He was an evangelist. He was a man that will carry the good news of the gospel. And by the way, it's good news, not bad news. We have good news to tell. Jesus saves. Jesus saves sinners. There's hope. There's hope in Christ. It's only bad news, and we'll see when we conclude to them that don't want to come into the light. They want to remain in darkness. But it's good news for them that simply see what God shows them in their sin and they want to come to Christ and be forgiven and have a home in heaven and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's good news. I don't think there's greater news than that when, you know, to know that when you, when you die, you're going to be with the Lord. I mean, when you're on your deathbed, you know that when you close your eyes within that moment, you'll be in the presence of God. What greater, what, I mean, that's assurance, that's hope. And Jesus wants to give us hope in his death, burial, and resurrection, as we're going to see that in a moment. Now, look at verse 5. We see Philip first preach in Samaria. That's his ministry, his mission. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached, look, Christ unto them. Now, Samaria wasn't a popular place. It was a 
simply uh, you know, a despised place. Uh, Jews didn't really have dealings with the Samaritans because they were a mixed breed. You know, Gentiles and Jews were intermarried, and so therefore the Jews despised them. As a matter of fact, they say that you know, some of the Jews would rather walk around Samaria to get where they need to go and not walk through it, even though it took longer. But Philip went to Samaria to preach the gospel there. He had a heart like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus in John chapter 4 went to Samaria to preach to a Samaritan woman. And the Bible says very clearly, he said in, uh, in, in uh, John 4, 4, he, look at this, look at this, and he, what's that word? Must, needs go through, through Samaria. <laughs> you know what? That tells us that God, Jesus, has compassion upon even those that are despised, those that are sinful, those that seem to be the outcasts of society. Look, by the way, I was one of them. I was one of them. People like Zacchaeus. People that just simply have a very bad testimony of a bad reputation within the community and, uh, and, and sinful. By the way, she had been married five times and the fellow that she was with at that particular time wasn't her husband. She was probably thinking about marrying again. See, this Samaritan woman was uh, simply marrying and divorcing, marrying and divorcing, and she couldn't find satisfaction in men. And that's the problem today. People trying to find satisfaction in uh, things or in possessions or look in people, but can't. And Jesus encounters her, didn't condemn her. He showed her her sin. He showed her her lack thereof, her, 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 her you know, thirst for happiness. But he then showed her that he was the living water. He said, look, I want you to see verse 13. He said, whatsoever, he says, whosoever drinketh of this water shall what? Thirst again. But he says this, but whosoever drinketh the water that I should give them shall never thirst. But the water that I should give them uh, shall be in them as a well of water springing up into what? Everlasting life. You know what God wants to satisfy? Our sin-sick soul that is thirsty, always looking for hope. But there's only hope in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus was trying to you know, uh, give to this woman is hope in a hopeless world. See, happiness comes from something that happens. We always look for something to happen, to fulfill that desire. There's a vacuum in everybody's heart. And we're trying to fill it up with something, possessions, people. And it can never be filled said to a man yesterday as I was preaching the word of God to him, I said, the reason why you have to go back to it is because it doesn't satisfy. And sometimes when you, you don't want to go back to that, you want to just, you know what, just leave that and find someone else or find something else. And you're constantly trying to find something to satisfy your sin-sick soul. And Jesus is the only one that can satisfy you. He's the only one that can give you the hope of heaven. There's no hope here on earth. Even Christians, listen, Christians, you can slip up back into your old life and desire the things that you once, you know, simply threw up. You can't. You desire those things that, ugh, that Jesus saved you from. So there's no, there's no true satisfaction here. And so the gospel reaches a people that were simply trying to find specifically this uh, individual you know, happiness or hope in people or e even in a husband and couldn't find it. There's only hope in Christ, especially regarding your sin-sick soul. Philip was not motivated by the crowd. As a matter of fact, he left the crowd to go to one man in the backside of the desert. Jesus wasn't motivated by crowds. 
I want you to see this in verse 26. Philip was willing and ready to be guided by the Lord to go and leave the crowds and preach to one man on the backside of the desert. Look at verse 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose. Look at this in verse 26. And he arose and went, and behold, a man. Amen. There was a man. God is concerned with the soul. You know what this demonstrates here to us? That one soul always matters to the Lord. Can I say that again? One soul always matters to the Lord. God cares for that one soul. God cares for you. You're not just a number. You're not amongst the crowd. You, 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 God cares about you. Remember, Zacchaeus was simply in the sycamore tree there because he was uh, you know, unable to see Jesus and Jesus saw him, called him by name amongst the crowd. That's the soul, that's the, the, the passion for a soul of our Saviour. He cares for people, he cares for you, he, he knows you by name, he loves you. Trying to get your attention, got mine 19 years ago. Found me in the pits of sin. Pulled me out of the miry, miry clay. Set my foot upon a rock. Established my God. Put a new song in my mouth. It's a wonderful thing. Tremendous. Why can't you get passionate about the things of God? How can you be indifferent when you, uh, you know, simply point it out and God has his eye upon you like he has his eye upon that sparrow that is you know, not worth much? But he has his eye on you. He loves you. Even in the Lord's dying hour, he was concerned about a soul. One soul on the cross looked in his dying hour and said to that man that recognized his sin and recognized the Savior, today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. Cares about that one soul. Woman caught in adultery. Amongst the crowd, getting ready to stone her, Jesus can simply defends her, becomes his advocate, and says those famous words, you who without sin cast the first stone. Cares for that woman caught in adultery, cares for her, wants to give her forgiveness, hope, salvation. God cares for that one. Listen, God cares for you. God knew what you would do before you did it. And God demonstrated or commendeth his love toward us in that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. God knew what you'll do before you did it and he sent his son to die. He sent his son to die for your sin that you may be forgiven, saved and forgiven. You know, the Bible says in Luke 15.10, look at this. Luke 15.10, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Joy over one sinner. So you don't want to see the crowds? We're not talking about crowds, a lot of crowds, but where's this one sinner that will have that touch of faith in Christ to be whole and healed? There are crowds that gather around the name of Jesus, but where is that one soul that puts their faith in Christ? Christendom today is overrated. That God cares for that broken person, that soul that is hopeless, desperate, poor in spirit and needs Christ. He cares for that one.
And when that one comes to Christ, guess what? There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. Guess who's rejoicing? God is. The Father is. The whole point of the prodigal son coming back to the father and the father wanting to celebrate because his son has come home. And you know what? Uh, a lot of people don't understand the celebration that takes place in seeing the soul saved. They're more excited about the football game and the, 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 you know, the uh, sports that take place or games and entertainment than seeing people saved. I think the greatest thing that we can see here on earth is someone bow the knee and their head and heart and put their faith in Jesus Christ and then follow through. Oh, brother, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful picture that is. John said it best. He has no greater joy but to see his children walk in truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. This also demonstrates that God is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter who you are. In other words, God is not partial in his dealings. Look at verse 27. And behold, a man of, what's that? Ethiopia. Uh, Ethiopia was a kingdom located south of Egypt. It was the southern part of Egypt and Sudan as we know it. And so it doesn't matter if you're black or white. Doesn't matter. We all need Jesus. We're all made out of the same stuff. We're all made of dust and we're sinful. We all need Christ and this man also had great authority. Look, look what it says over here. A eunuch of great authority, a position that he held, and it doesn't matter, again, it doesn't matter if you're a master or a servant, if you're rich or poor, we all need Jesus. We all need Christ. I want you to see verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, I, Of truth I perceive, of Acts chapter 10, I want you to see this in respect that God is not a respecter of persons. You can see it there. Peter opened his mouth and said, Of truth, I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him, look at this, he that feareth him, yeah, that, that's in the Bible. He that feareth him and worketh righteous is accepted with him. And by the way, this is, can only be fulfilled in Christ because he is the end of the law unto righteousness. But there has to be a fear of God. You read Proverbs 1. A healthy fear in the beginning of uh, the fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. It can't be a casual situation. You've got to see God for who he is. That's what uh, simply the Hebrew writer says. It sees God for who he is. He diligently seeks him and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seeks him. And God is not a respecter of persons. He, anyone that will come to him from any nation, Jew or Gentile, God will forgive them. Now notice the beginning of verse 27. Uh, sorry, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go. Now, so God used an angel to direct Philip where he needed to go next. He could have used uh, an angel to show how the Ethiopian official should be saved, but he didn't use an angel. He used Philip. He used Philip. And uh, I, I think that's a beautiful thing, that God will include us part of his ministry. We are laborers together with God. Now, the angel had a ministry, and that was to help redirect Philip at that particular time where to go. In verse 28, 
uh, sorry, verse 29, the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And so by this we know that Philip was no doubt spirit-led, and that without a doubt he was you know, led to a man that was seeking God. He wasn't indifferent about the things of God. He followed through. And how we need men today that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that are sensitive to the Spirit's leading to those people that are in need. He came back from worshipping in Jerusalem, this Ethiopian eunuch, and, God, and somehow he had a copy of the book of Isaiah. So he's coming back from Jerusalem, he's there to worship God, he, and he's looking into the scriptures, and he's got a copy of the book of Isaiah, and he's seeking. And God sends a spirit-filled man to go and speak and open his mouth to proclaim hope to a seeking man. Verse 28, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Look at verse 30. And Philip, what's that walk, word? Walked. Is that what it says? No. And Philip ran. I don't know about you, but when you have an opportunity and it's a silver platter and someone is seeking and someone wants to say, can you show me from the Bible or something of that nature? I don't know about you. If you begin to walk and uh, you know, move your appointment to another day and you're too busy, there's something wrong. I don't know about you, if you knew someone, wanted to hear the gospel, someone that was seeking, someone wanted to know, you run, you make time, you cancel this and cancel that, just to make sure that that person hears the gospel. He ran. This is a man that had a heart for the things of God. He was a spirit-filled man, a man that had a heart to seek people and see him saved. And he ran hither to him, and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Thou understandest thou what thou readest. He wanted to make sure that he understood what he was reading. Look at verse 31, and he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So you, this is a, a tremendous, tremendous teachable spirit from the Ethiopian eunuch's part. How, how, how can I? I mean, teachable, come, show me, come, sit here, teach me. In other words, he demonstrated diligence to know what the Word of God says. And brethren, today, if we were going to continue to know what God's uh, Word says, we must be diligent to make time to, 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 to make the Word of God priority in our life, to sit under the Word, be in the Word. We must make time to be taught from the Scriptures he, this eunuch acknowledges that he needed someone to guide him. And, off, and he offers Philip to sit with him in the chariot. Wow! Look at verse 32 and 34. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened not his mouth. It's talking about Jesus. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Notice the eunuch's question is the Philip, verse 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet of this? Of himself or of another man? And so he understood that there was something taking place, some sort of, uh, you know, injustice. Who's been, you know, handled in a way that's unjust? Is it? Isaiah, the prophet, or is it another man? 
Well, notice Philip's response. Now we get to the message. Philip's message. Verse 35. I love this phrase. And then Philip opened his mouth. Amen. What a faithful preacher. Amen. And we need more people opening their mouth and telling others about Jesus. You know what I'm afraid? I'm afraid that we're living in the days that people open their mouth only to speak evil against others and gossip against this is This tongue is unbelievable in the way it works. If people spent their time gossiping the gospel, you have so little time to gossip about other people. It was too busy in the ministry, working in the ministry, reaching people with the gospel. He had no time for that. He opened his mouth and people just sit and talk, sit and talk, sit and talk. It's very rare that you see someone go and open their mouth and tell them about the hope that he's found in Jesus Christ. He was a faithful preacher, but I want to see he was a Bible preacher. Look at this. And he began at the same scripture. What a beautiful th thing that is. To have Bible preaching, preaches the word of God. Doesn't just simply allude to the passage and then goes and has stories and illustrations and talks about this or talks about that and uh, talks about himself for about uh, 10 minutes. No, no, listen, he preaches the word. These days we have 25 minute fluff messages. A few verses here and there. He began at the same... You can just imagine how long it took him to explain and expound to the Ethiopian eunuch on that chariot. I mean, they're on the backside of the desert. Had a lot of time, amen. And a uh, good place to start and get not only have a little drink, but have a little drink from God's word, amen. Refreshed. He was a Bible preacher, but look, he was a gospel preacher. Not only a faithful preacher, a Bible preacher... But he was a gospel preacher. Look at this. And he preached unto him Jesus. Wow. What a man of God. Spiritual, filled, man, godly, Bible preacher preaching the gospel. Oh, the gospel's not popular today because you have to tell people that they're sinners and they're going to hell without Jesus. Of course it's not popular to those that reject it. But 19 years ago, when I heard that, I was broken. Yet my heart was smitten. And yet I went home and bowed my head and heart and called on the Lord and put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that there are still people out there waiting to hear about the precious Saviour. It doesn't matter. We, we, we don't alter the message because it's not popular or people don't like it or use, you know, change words from, you know, sin to mistakes. You know, we don't do that. It's too offensive. We've got to tell people the gospel. And the gospel is very clear. And he expounds. You know, the center of Philip's message was Jesus. When Philip went to Samaria, he preaches Jesus. Look at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached who? Christ. He's the center of the gospel. He's the foundation of the gospel. And today, in many religions, we hear too many people today focus on what man must do. But he, Philip, focuses on what Christ has done. And that's the gospel. What Christ has done. What he has done for us. And how did Philip preach unto him? From Isaiah. Look at this. Verse 32. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. You know, he would have expounded that Jesus was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. 
A man, he was a sheep to the slaughter. Jesus was slaughtered. Jesus was slain. For what reason? Like John says, for our sin, for the sin of the world. And by looking at Isaiah's prophecy, he was simply preaching the suffering saviour. There's no doubt about it. Jesus suffered. It's what, probably what Peter preached in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also had once what? Suffered for sin. Christ suffered for sin. So he would have preached the suffering saviour. He would have preached the, the, the sufferings of the cross. And then second, like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. He took it patiently. You know, in other words, let me say this. He would have preached that Jesus laid down his life willingly. You know, Isaiah 50 says this, that uh, regarding the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I gave, I gave my back to the spiders. You know, Jesus, no one took his life, although they did, but he willingly laid it down because he could have responded to Peter's desire saying, you know, we're, we're, regarding these angels, uh, sorry, uh, regarding to fight back and Jesus saying that, don't you know that I can send my angels to, to, to deal with this? But the whole purpose that Jesus came was to lay down his life. He says, I gave my back to the smiters, my, cheek, my cheeks to them that plucked the hairs. Uh, off, uh, my, uh, that plucked off the hairs. He said, I hid not my face from, look at this, shame and spitting. In other words, all the uh, you know, shame and all the guilt and all the spitting, all the humiliation that we deserve because of our sin, Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. He took our place. He took it patiently. He says to his disciples, I am the good shepherd in John 10. The good shepherd, look at this, giveth his life for who? His sheep. In John 15, verse 13, no, uh, he says, Greater love have no man than this, that a man laid down his life. Jesus laid down his life. He took it willingly. He took it patiently. He, 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 he said to Pilate that the only power that you have been given is from above. Because Pilate said, you know, I've got the power to release you. Paul didn't understand the whole will of God. We do. I hope we do. Well, Philip was preaching to this man the will of God, that he would be an offering for us. He would lay down his life for us. Jesus died a violent death. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He was completely innocent. Jesus died on the cross, taking your place and my place. Look at verse 33. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. He hadn't had a fair trial. He was innocent. And even Pilate knew he was innocent. The centurion knew he was innocent. The thief on the cross knew he was innocent. Judas knew he was innocent. He was innocent. But does someone care? Well, the thief realized at the end of the day, he said, Lord, you have done nothing amiss. And who should declare his generation? Look at this, for his life is taken from the earth. They crucified him. But in this we see a substitute. No doubt Philip would have preached the substitute atonement. He suffered for our sin, the just for the unjust. That's the whole point of laying down his life. Right from the beginning in Genesis, we see that there had to be a shedding of blood take place to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. 
All throughout the Bible, right from the beginning to the cross, we see the picture that God gives. We also see that God provided a ram to die in the place of Isaac. We see the sacrificial system, even the Passover lamb would be slain for the people of Israel, pointing to their saviour. And there had to be a shedding of blood. His life had to be taken. He had to simply be uh, offered, die there for us. And, in, and, and when, before he did, he bowed his head and he said, it is finished. What's finished? This. Down payment, atonement for our sin. But notice now as we close Philip's maturity. I want you to see this in verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me, or what stops me from being to be baptized? Now, the eunuch knew that he needed to be baptized. Now, how did he know this? Well, there could be a couple of reasons. Or, you know, he probably observed what took place in Jerusalem while he was there, perhaps seeing Christians saved and baptized, and he was witnessing that. It could be that Philip preached to him the need of being baptized after one repents like uh peter did in pentecost he says repent and be baptized every one of you so it could be that he closed with an invitation somehow the ethiopian knew that he had to be baptized so he says what stops me and the way philip answers the eunuch proves philip's maturity as a gospel preacher he wasn't concerned about numbers he was concerned about souls understanding he said it. Do you understand what you read? He wanted to make sure he understood the gospel. And now he wanted to make sure that what he, uh, you know, to be baptized, you, you know, you have to, before the prerequisite, the precondition is to believe with all your heart. He wasn't careless. He was very careful. Why? Because he was a mature, soul, spirit-filled man. He had been filled with wisdom. He wasn't careless. You know, we're dealing with people's souls here. We're not dealing with people, you know, people on the brink between heaven and hell. You don't want to misguide them in any way. You don't want to make them think that baptism is necessary for salvation now, do you? Because they're separate. Baptism comes after salvation, not for salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. He just preached it. Notice what he says in verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart thou mayest so everything that he just preached everything that he just pulled out from isaiah regarding jesus philip makes it clear that the only thing that will hinder his baptism was a lack of true faith in jesus christ believing with all your heart is just that it's clear God doesn't want anyone to doubt God doesn't want anyone to be half-hearted he wants someone to have full faith whole faith uh, in Jesus Christ no doubts it's not enough just to agree with the gospel you have to believe the gospel you know, agreeing with the gospel is having an intellectual consent yeah Jesus suffered died rose again I agree with that yeah I believe that but there has to be a believing on or in there has to be a, a faith that puts their you know trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for their life there must take place a lot of people just believe it here I believed it here for 24 years 24 years I believed it 
here. 19 years ago, when I was 24 years old, I believed it here. And believing with all your heart is, listen to this, I don't want you to miss it, please understand. Believing with all your heart is not the measure of your faith, but rather it is the motive of your faith. So it's not about having a gigantic faith. Now God is not looking for someone that would be boastful in how much I believed in Jesus. No, God is looking for simple faith, just a little faith of a grain of mustard seed in the subject of who we believe, that's Christ. God is looking for, in other words, this. Believing with all your heart would be this, genuine and we see that in one of the soils, the fourth soil. Sincere, believing, genuine. It's not the measure of your faith, it's the motive of your faith. Being sincere. Do you believe with all your heart? I want you to see the response. Verse 37, and he answered and he said, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In other words, he affirms his faith in Christ. His profession is in Jesus Christ being the Son of God, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is believing that God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Because God sent his only begotten Son into the world. It's to believe God's will that God sent his Son to die in your place, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, is believing everything about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Suffered. Listen, for my sin, he died in my place. And that was God's will for him and for me to believe on him, to honor the Son, to have faith in him. He that had the Son had life. He that had not the Son of God had not life. Now in closing, I want you to see in verse 38, and commanded the chariot to be still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he what? Baptized him. He took his profession of faith. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he baptized him based upon his profession. Now the act of baptism should reflect what has already happened in our heart. It's almost the confession, if you will, of our faith. Believing in our heart is important, but the confession of, uh, in Christ is important. And baptism could be a picture of that. It's a demonstration of my faith in Christ, that God, uh, Christ has died for me, and he was buried and he rose again for me, for my justification. In Christ Jesus I have passed from death to life, and baptism pictures that very perfectly. I'm dead in Christ, I'm alive in Christ. Now let me just say this. Why don't some people believe with all their heart? A couple of closing questions. Why don't people believe with all their hearts? Why, will not they, why won't they come to Jesus and be saved? Because that's what he said to the Pharisees. He says, you will not come, that ye may have life. Why? Well, in their position, we know that they had a religious problem, pride problem. They, he really specifically hammers down in John chapter 8 that he says, that you rather follow the lies of the devil. Your, your father is not God. Your father's the devil. Imagine saying that to a bunch of religious people. Wow. So part of the reason they crucified him, because he exposed them. They were religious. 
He actually said to them, you're hypocrites. You know, these people, like Isaiah said, honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So there's some sort of honour, but not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who doeth the will of the Father, which is in heaven. And the will of the Father is that you and I will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we honour the Son. And, and so, but what stops a person from doing that? Have a look at John chapter 3. What, why do people simply despise Christ? Look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a beautiful promise right there. That if you believe on the Son of God, whom God gave for your salvation, for your sin, that you'll have everlasting life. You'll pass from death to life. You'll have eternity in heaven. You won't end up in hell for your sin. You'll be forgiven. Forgiveness is a byproduct of salvation and all the other beautiful things that we have in Christ. But believing on him is, is a prerequisite of eternity. You must believe on him. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See that? He hasn't believed on him in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has done, they have rejected. So it's not just an intellectual uh, you know, uh, affirmation. It's, it's rejecting Christ. Rejecting everything that he's done and who he is. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than what? Light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be what? Reproved. Yeah, when you come into the light, when you humble yourself and see your need, you are exposed. But people don't want to be exposed. And I said it before and I'll say it again because people love their sin more than the Saviour. What will profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? And so what happens to those people that believe not on the Lord Jesus Christ? Reject the Son. They don't receive the Son because John says it very clearly in John 1. But as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. So those people that don't believe reject him. They don't receive him. What will happen to them? Look at verse 36 and we're done. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son, look at this, shall not see life. But what will happen? But the wrath of God abideth on him. When that day comes... And you stand before God, because Hebrews 9.27 said, He's appointed on the man once to die, and after this the judgment. We can't escape the first, it's inevitable, we're all going to die. But we can escape the second, the judgment. In Christ, we can be forgiven, because he took our place. He paid the price. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But if you fail to receive Christ as your personal saviour, by believing in him and on him and receiving him as your saviour, guess what will happen? You'll be judged for everything that you have done here on earth. Everything, every word, every deed, every thought, everything will be uncovered. And because you don't have the blood of Christ covering your sin, 
washing you clean from your filthiness, you'll be judged and condemned and the wrath of God will send you to the prison called, I have to say it, hell. I don't believe that a loving God will send us to hell. Do you believe that Jesus was sent into the world so you don't have to go to hell? Because God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The reason why people end up in hell is because they reject the love of God and they reject his son, Jesus Christ. And they're paying the price of their own sin. I say to the people on the street, if you were to die today, do you know where you're going? You know what some people say to me? I'll be going to hell because they know what they've done. I said, you know what? You don't have to. Let me tell you why. I don't say, oh, that's not true, because it is true. Without Christ, because of their sin, they're going to hell. But let me, just, let me just say, you don't have to. God loves you. He gave his son Jesus to die for you. Would you believe on him? Would you come to him that you may have life? What a, what a testimony of a man that was simply had a ministry and a mission to reach not only the crowds, but a soul. And what a man that preached the message of God. He, he was faithful to open his mouth and preach the Bible and preach the gospel. What a, what a, what a godly man. And what a man of maturity. A man of making sure that, hey, you know what you're doing before you do it? You know why? Let me just say, I was deceived thinking I was a Christian because I was baptized. All that time I was baptized as a baby, thought I was a Christian, but I was far from it. And so when people get, want to get baptized, I say, you know why you want to get baptized? Are you sure you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior? I'm not trying to get you doubt your salvation. Listen, I want to make sure you have salvation. What a mature man, godly man, spirit-filled man, doing the work of God. We can learn a lot from Philip, amen? We may not have his gifts of, of working miracles, and we may not have his calling of being an evangelist. But we can look at his characteristic and say, you know what, I want to be a good witness for Christ. I want to care for that one. I want to make sure that I preach the gospel and preach God's word. And I want to make sure that I'm not misleading people. I want to be a good Christian, a good witness. May God help us learn from this godly man. In Jesus' name, let's pray.